This season is a dark season. It seeks a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Welcome to the Feast of Jonah. We like to recognize every year. Do you have anything to say about the Feast of Jonah? My mind's got so many things going on right now. First of all, I just, um, it's good to see so many people here that I haven't seen in a long time. And um, it's always great to see people here that I see all the time. Um, yeah, welcome to the Feast of Jonah. As you all, you all know uh, that this is uh, Reverend Debbie Blue's uh, final Sunday as our pastor, our reverend, our theologian here with us. But uh, so, yeah. It's been a wonderful 28 years, yeah. <laughs> and I'll miss being your pastor, but I love continuing our friendship, so thank you. Yeah, and just some um, other uh, announcements about the feast. Uh, following this service, there's going to be a grand feast downstairs. I don't think we've ever done that before, have we? We never have. Yeah, no, we're going to go into the belly of the... Makes sure. sense, yeah, 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 down there. So afterwards, join, please join us for the feast uh, downstairs, and that will also be a time where you will be able to, um, yeah, talk to Debbie and whatnot. Anything else that we have to say about the feast? I think that's all about the feast. You were going to say something about blankets. Um, no, so the, this church every year, the uh, Bethlehem Lutheran Church every year goes to um, the, I can't remember, I can't, my, just my mind is really racing today, sorry, I have to, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been 28 years. Um, <laughs> it's been 28 years and I still can't remember what I'm trying to say. No, uh, the church is collecting coats, blankets, boots, uh, gloves, any um, winter stuff, uh, and they are bringing it to the, this is what I can't remember, the name of the reservation in South Dakota that they've been bringing them to for the last 20 years. But they are running short this year. They're not as big a collection as they got in the past. They're going to bring them all next Sunday. So if you want to bring donations here next Sunday, do. <laughs> so is that like a half hour for that? <laughs> okay, uh, all right. I think that's it. You said this is the house of mercy. <laughs> this is the house of mercy and welcome to it. Stand as you are in April.
God of mercy, tomorrow there will be more hours of darkness than light. Probably more clouds are on the way. A different season is here. Change is in the air. Help us see all the beauty all around, knowing we have coats and blankets, and we're probably pretty well prepared. Help us look forward to warming ourselves by new fires. Help us keep our eyes open, shine lights in the darkness, not be afraid. Just see what we can see, knowing you are with us. Help us embrace the change of season. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. Let's pass the peace. The Book of Jonah. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah? Jonah set off to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. He went down to Joppa. He found a, a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid this fare, and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of Yahweh. But Yahweh, well, Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. 
Then the sailors were afraid and each cried to his God and they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. Then sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots so that we may know whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots and a lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us, why is this calamity upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I'm a Hebrew, he replied. I worship Yahweh, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh, well, because he had told them so. Then they said to him, what, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, ah, pick me up and throw me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. And then they cried out to Yahweh, uh, please, O oh Yahweh, we pray, uh, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O oh Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Well, then the men feared Yahweh even more, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. But Yahweh provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to Yahweh, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to Yahweh out of my distress, and Yahweh answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? And then the waters closed in over me, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And yet, you brought up my life 
from the pit. O Yahweh, my God, as my life was ebbing away, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols, they forsake their true loyalty. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to Yahweh. And then Yahweh spoke to the fish, and it puked Jonah out onto the dry land. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah a second time, saying, Okay, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of Yahweh. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yeah, the people of Nineveh believed God. Well, they proclaimed a fast, and everybody, great and small, well, he put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, well, the king rose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, sat in the ashes, and then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. He said, by decree of the king and his nobles, no person or, or animal, um, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, they shall not drink water, uh, people and the animals shall be covered in sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God, and they sh we shall all turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change God's mind. God may turn from God's fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed God's mind about the calamity that God had said God would bring upon them, and God did not do it. But this, this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry, and he prayed to Yahweh and said, Oh, Yahweh, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. And now, oh Yahweh, please just take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And Yahweh said, is it right for you? To be angry? And then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of that city. Yahweh God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah and give him shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about this bush. 
But when dawn came the next day, well, God appointed a worm to attack that bush so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? He said, yes, angry enough to die. (laughs) And then Yahweh said, you're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not be, uh, and, and should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and, and also many animals. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, We're so lucky to have some extra special guests here uh, for this service, and I think a lot of you know Brett Larson. Uh, He's been around for a really long time, lived up at the farm with Debbie for a really long time. He's taught us so much uh, theologically, musically. Uh, He is one of the reasons that we started uh, Mercy Recording Label because we wanted to hear his records and they weren't out yet, so we put them out. We're so glad to have you here, Brett. Thank you. Listening to the sinner songs, maybe even sing along. Standing in the sinner's line, drinking all that sinner's wine. Well, I didn't get a ride that night, so I wandered into town. First bar that I came to, thought I'd have a look around. He was sitting at the bar, empty shot glass in his hand. I took the bar stool next to his, spent the night with that old man. 
He shared a lot of wisdom, many things I still recall. We drank away the cold that night, right up until last call. He had that bartender set up an old army cot for me. I said I'd buy him breakfast. He said, you know where I'll be. I'll be where the sinners are, over at the sinner's bar. Talking to the sinner man, standing where the sinners stand. Listen to the sinner songs, maybe even sing along. Standing in the sinner's line, drinking all that sinner's wine. Well, I waited half the morning for that old man to show. Asked the bartender where he was, he just pointed across the road. I thanked him and I grabbed my pack and I walked out in the rain. Saw a church house on the corner. I could hear the people praying. I slipped inside and saw him at the altar with the cup of wine. He took a drink and turned around. I could see his eyes. They were shining. He saw me and he came and stood beside me and we sang a song. Bought him breakfast, then I hit the road and went back home. Singing. I'll be where the sinners are, over at the sinner's bar. Talking to the sinner man, standing where the sinners stand. Listening to the sinner songs, maybe even sing along. Standing in the sinner's line, drinking all that sinner's wine. I have no sense of a timeline, but I feel like we started House of Mercy because of that song. <laughs> so Jonah, Jonah isn't like any other book in the Bible. It's not historical or prophetic. It's not wisdom literature. It's like this short story about this funny little guy, a not super brave, self-absorbed, fearful, vulnerable, but in denial about his fear and vulnerability, and generous, angry little person who would rather die than face any of that honestly. I mean, a plant that was providing shade for him withers, and he says, it's better for me to die than to live. And this little book about this not very brave or generous or honest person is read every year on the highest holy day in the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, a day of repentance, which begins this evening. This weird little book about this weird little man gets such a prominent place. What a wild and beautiful and weird thing. As far as I can tell from reading lots of Jewish commentaries about why Jonah on Yom Kippur, many rabbis say, because Jonah is us. 
or hopefully maybe more like there's something about Jonah that's a little like us, but whatever. It's not an unusual way to read scripture. It reveals something about who you are and it reveals something about who God is. What Aviva Zornberg, the great Midrashic scholar, hones in on in her reading of Jonah is that Jonah's seemingly not capable or willing to stand and face what God asks of him or face who he is or what it is to be human standing between life and death. He flees, he runs, he gets on a boat, he wants to float, but the boat gets into this terrible storm and Jonah lies down and goes to sleep in the middle of the storm. Other people on the boat can't believe this. The captain yells at him, what is up with you, you sleeper? Get up and cry out. That's also what God asks of Jonah, get up and cry out. The boat's about to go down and he's sleeping? I think this sounds nothing like me. <laughs> I can't sleep in a comfortable bed in the dark and in the quiet. I can't sleep on a car or in a plane. I am not a sleeper. You can call me lots of things, but not that. But I guess I do lie down on the couch, though the planet is in peril, and binge watch, I don't even want to tell you what. <laughs> I do lie down and scroll a New York Times article on the case for adding turmeric to your diet. What are the symptoms of, well, it depends on the day. And then I might get up to pour myself a glass of wine, though the storms of life are raging, and go back to the couch and lie down as best as I can with a glass of wine and scroll some more, read reviews to figure out what we're gonna watch next. I guess you could call that fleeing. Maybe I am Jonah. If the captain calls, come out, call on your God. Can't you see what's happening? Sure, I could stand up and I could tell you what I believe. But it's hard to wake up and face the existential crisis we're in every morning, day after day. Jonah actually wants to be thrown over the side of the boat. It's not courage. He wants to be unconscious. He'd rather die than be awake. Aviva reads the prayer Jonah prays from the belly of the whale as a really a non-prayer. It's just another means of escape. He prays in the past tense as if he's already been saved, which is a pretty strange prayer to pray when you actually really need saving right now. But Jonah doesn't confess or entreat or despair. He doesn't ask. He doesn't pray. He recites words that he probably ripped off from a psalm. It's this empty thanksgiving instead of facing the terror of his situation. He's in the belly of a fish. As far as he knows, he is about to be digested. 
His prospects aren't good. Still, he's avoidant, unconscious, inattentive, pretending to be okay. He'd rather be dead than really be alive, attending. He'd rather die than face the depths of his being, his anger or sadness or darkness or fear or his great possibility to love and forgive. He'd rather withdraw from consciousness than face his own vulnerability, his own inner landscape. I'm clear, I mean, clearly, I, I'm sure you all know, I hope you all know, I don't only lie on the couch and watch and scroll. I mean, I do stuff. But I don't think our culture particularly encourages us to pursue being awake. Jonah goes down to the literal depths of the sea into the belly of the whale and mimics praying a psalm that he learned in Hebrew school. The pagan sailors on the boat, they stand and cry. But Jonah just can't seem to cry out. It's like he's numb. He'd rather be thrown over the side of the boat than deal with all the stuff you have to deal with being human, being alive. The story is about running away. What would it be like to trust? Trust God, trust the people that love you, instead of fleeing and hiding. This is the time of year when we start spending more time inside. Maybe try not just inside the house, on the couch, but like even with a little bit of bravery, go into the depths and open your eyes, look around, be attentive rather than anesthetize. Spend time praying for real, which might just be like recognizing honestly what you need, what you desire, what you fear. Aviva says prayer is precisely the experience of lack that draws you into the vulnerable place of standing and asking, help us. Help us live and love and be awake. Angel, will you come now and uh, sing? Thank you. You all know Angel? Let's give the warm house of mercy welcome to Angel Sanchez. Once again, uh, my voice isn't completely cooperating, so it might be like a little Rod Stewart. I'm not sure. We'll, s we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, this song is for Debbie. Um, you asked me to sing this for Consider the Birds. And at first, I didn't think I could do it because it was such a big, like, known gospel song, right? And I was like, not sure I can, but kind of went back to the roots of it and... We'll see. Why should I feel discouraged? 
Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because. I'm happy, and I sing because I'm free. For His eye is on the sparrow, and I know that He watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear, and resting on His goodness, I lose my doubt and fear. Though by the path he leads, but one step I may see, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know that he watches me. I sing because I'm happy, and I sing because I'm free. For his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise. When songs give space for sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to Him. From care He sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, 
And I know he watches me I sing because I'm happy And I sing because I'm free For his eyes on the sparrow And I know he watches me Now, I don't want to say too much up here today. I just want to say a little thing, a short thing, because there's so many other beautiful words being spoken here today and such beautiful music, and uh, it's really a fine, fine occasion as we celebrate our descent into darkness. Um, and there will be food later, too, so. But I do want to say this. First of all, we're living in a post-Jonah world. I want us to all to just have that in our minds as we move through this, because I want to say this. Um, Jonah is not a young prophet when this happens. Jonah is not a new prophet when this happens. Jonah is not like some would lead you to believe uh, a, a fumbling, unsuccessful prophet. As a matter of fact, it is true that Jonah is a very successful prophet. This isn't Jonah's first uh, trip, uh, first uh, prophetizing uh, uh, duty? No. He's been doing it for a while, and he was good at it. He was good at it. And the way this book is spun out, it makes him seem like somehow he's uh, didn't know what he was doing. Somehow that he, uh, he changed things. But that's not the case. If you read the book, God's the one that changed things up here, not Jonah. Gods are not in the habit of sending their prophets to their enemies' people to tell them to repent. <laughs> no, the prophet goes and calls down the fire and brimstone on the enemies of their people. This is how it works between gods and their people. It's worked this way for a long, long time, forever. And so, when God tells Jonah to go to their enemies, and these are bad, bad people, horrible people. When God tells him to go and tell those people to repent, Jonah, being the professional, successful prophet of a man that he was, he is trying to protect God. He thinks maybe God might be off a little bit. He's not going to go. He, God can't really want him to do this. So he leaves. He leaves. He figures, you know, I won't go do it. God's having a weird time. Uh, you know, I'll just like, it'll blow over, right? I'll go take a trip. It'll be fine. But it seems like God is pretty serious about this. God is worse off, I think, than, uh, than, uh, than Jonah thinks. Because God, God comes after him in the storm and the wind and the fire, everything like that. Jonah doesn't want to do this, 
But God seems like it's not just some temporary thing. God didn't just, God isn't having an off day. God isn't showing a little weakness. This God of the Hebrew people appears to have actually changed. This is no longer a God that's gonna, just gonna smite the enemy, that's gonna protect that God's people. This is God's making it bigger. This is a God who's deciding to love everyone. This is a new God that's deciding to forgive, restore, repair everyone. And he's starting out by going to the worst, evilest people possible and getting his best prophet guy on it. But maybe God's had a while to think about this because Jonah just can't get his head around it. This simple thing, go to our enemies and tell them to repent and they will be restored and they will be forgiven and they will be loved. I think this is like 7,000 years ago, something like that. We've been in this post-Jonah time, a time when we're supposed to love our enemies, 7,000-something years like that. I don't think it's... I don't think we always remember that most simple thing. For the last 7,000 years, Jesus came, that stuff's all good and everything like that. But we knew everything we're supposed to do way back from here. Love your enemies. Forgive your enemies. Those horrible haters, dark lovers, the people that you meet in your home, in your neighborhood, on the freaking television, all the things on, on your social media, all these horrific people, these are the people that God made for you. Love them, forgive them. This is the simple truth that God brings to us. This is a post-Jonah time. Love your enemies all the time, every time. Go look for them, find them, love them. And we go into the darkness, and we're not afraid of the darkness. When we spend this next time, as the days are shorter, and we sit in that darkness, sit there and figure out how to kindle that light how to kindle that love until we know how to make it blaze. This is a post, Jonah time. Love our enemies, that's it. Can you do it? Uh, the Blood Wash Band was one of our uh, house bands here. Uh, a lot of these folks were in other incarnations of our house band, the House Mercy Band and, uh, and others. And so we're so happy to have uh, Paige and Angie and gunslinger Jeremy with us here today. <laughs> Thanks for playing. Thanks for joining me, you guys. It's been 
They picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea.
Oh.
come up for communion, I invite you, after you take communion, to take a rock and throw it over the side. This is God's table, and all are welcome. On the night he suffered, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it. And gave it to his disciples to eat, saying, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me.
Before our benediction, I just would like to uh, invite anyone who would like to or is able to come and gather up here at the front for some final liturgical doings. Um, so if you could come now, uh, that would be fantastic, right? Gather up here. There's not really, we don't have any way to do this. We've never, you know, said goodbye uh, to, uh, I don't know, well, I guess it, Pretty much the whole history of House of Mercy we've never done before what we're just about to do, so that feels right. But uh, I don't know how we um, say goodbye to, I don't even know what to say. So, but what I do want to say, this is, uh, of course, we, we will always, you always be, um, in our thoughts, and I know that you will always uh, remember each and every one of these uh, amazing people here. But we did want to give you something to um, just, you know, to remember how much we love you, or maybe you see it and you think of all these fantastic people. Barb, do you want to come up here? I know. You might as well start crying now. I know. You are. I mean, yeah. Yeah, here we go. I'll let you uh, do this here. And Barb has made this beautiful quilt. And afterwards, uh, it's going to be back there. And on the back of it, we'd like to invite all of you to sign it, sign your name, say a few things. Let's uh, hold that all out there so you can remember us. Yeah. I think um, famously people know, and Debbie will remind us all, that she did not want to be a minister. She, uh, Mark and I had to coax her out to be involved in this, and um, while you're able to go back now into the mystical, you know, organic dream life that we stole you away from. Um, we, as a congregation, will not be able to continue to go on without having you part of, of who we are and uh, who 
House of Mercy is, the things that you've taught me and, and all of us, uh, help us to understand mercy in a new way all the time, over and over again. And uh, like most uh, saints who are called out of some humbleness and then brought into a place where through their love and uh, strange magic, are able to uh, transform uh, to become something that is important to a community and uh, leaders of a community and someone who's always helping us to explore who God is and understand what it means to receive that love and mercy. And it's because of that um, that we will are going to saint you. You will no longer be the Reverend Debbie Blue. <laughs> but St. Debbie, and we will reveal our icon, St. Blue. So this will be here at House of Mercy forever, for always, so we can come and light a candle and uh, ask St. Debbie to pray for us. Um, we can never thank you. Uh, we love you, and uh, God bless you. <laughs> thank you so much for loving me in this way. Um, I, I can't possibly say enough. You've been, I won't, you'll be a part of me forever, so... One of the things I hate most about being a pastor is speaking extemporaneously, so I'm not going to try to But I love you. This is, like, so beautiful. Yes, this is a collaboration between uh, John Reichel and Angel. So please come and, yeah. Angie, sorry. I have a lot going on. <laughs> I, my apologies. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank Brett and Angel and Paige and Jeremy and all of you and the Grievous Angel Man, thank you for these beautiful gifts. And now, may the grace of God and the love of Christ and the peace of the Spirit go with you now. Amen.